The mind is a secondary organ. It should not be put in control. You need to bring it to heal. You need to control the mind, you need to discipline the mind, and you need to not let it run you, right? It's a tool. This is Glenn Murphy with NC Systema, and this is Systema for Life. Welcome back to the show, man. Hey, buddy. Good to be here. Yeah, good to see you in my, uh, in my house. So, <laughs> one of like two people who gets to come in my house right now under the nightmares of COVID yeah. restrictions and things. So, yeah, it's good to see you, us. So uh, you've been on the show before, so we're not going to um, go too long into your biography and all that kind of stuff. Um, but just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you're a systema instructor and you're a yoga instructor, and you have kind of a background in a lot of kind of movement, um, kind of spiritual spiritual practices let's say like things like that mm. towards kind of personal development and things as well so tell us a little bit about how you started on that path yeah um and it's kind of funny you said you said spiritual right away because um i think there's a uh, uh certain uh resistance that the mind hears when you hear spiritual right mm. so like i would say oh, more not like, for me but yeah, yeah not for us but yeah. like you know for some people like oh great we're gonna get into like something mystical but it's sure. it's it's more like self-actualization sure. or self-inquiry you know that's that's the way i would put it for most people yeah. And yeah, I have a, I have a, I think my, my interest is in flow in general, just kind of like the flow state that humans can get into, however you want to explain that scientifically, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that's like the alpha wave state or something like that, but that's kind of been the basis of everything that uh, I, I think in my, my development that really kind of gets me, uh, gets me interested. So Sistema, yoga, mm-hmm. um, dance, music. I started with music, you know, first discipline. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I have you know, more than 25 years experience with music and, mm. you know, 17 years with martial arts and 10 years with yoga, something around that. So, okay. and 10 years with Sistema. So, uh, so that, that was the order music, self-actualization through music first and yes. then martial arts and then yoga. That was the order. Yeah. And I played okay. around with some Zen and stuff like that too. Yeah. Um, you know, I was very interested in meditation. Meditation kind of came easy to me and mm. it doesn't come easy to a lot of other people. I actually have the opposite pro- problem that most people do is that I tend to get too focused mm. and I get kind of irritable when distractions come in. Sure. <laughs> Whereas yeah. most people are used to being distracted all the time and then like trying to get them to focus are, you know, at least in our society today, sure. trying to get them to focus is much, much more difficult. Yeah. You know, so, which is a lot about going to talk about today, right? Yeah. There's, a, there's so, an interesting, well, not to sideline it too much, but there's mm-hmm. a line of scientific research that sort of says that just as all men are on the, um, like, autistic spectrum in some way you know what I mean like, <laughs> even if it's only a little bit like compared with women kind of that, yeah. that way that um that there's also kind of like a spectrum of um what has been called kind of ADD right um but the the classical association with that is that attention deficit disorder means that you can't focus on something um but there are kind of variants within it and kind of the classical definition by the person who actually coined the term in the first place and um mm. it created the diagnosis was that you're so focused on one thing Right, that that you can't focus on the other thing that somebody's telling you to do. Right, so in schools a lot of the time, like some kids are so like, no, I have to do this thing. Right, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, you're distracted. It's like, well, he's not distracted. He's just really focused on something you right. don't want him to look at right now. <laughs> so yeah, don't want to leave it too far astray. But I think no, that's no, that's interesting exactly it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's why I wanted to have this conversation with you because sure. you have a you have a scientific knowledge that you are able to talk about things in a very pragmatic way that I haven't I, that I'm working on. Right. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. I, always, I always take a lot from you in that way. Great. Um, so, so in terms of your kind of systema pedigree, you've studied um, mostly under Edgar's schools, right? Out yes. there in New York, and now you're down mm-hmm. here with us in MC Systema, and you're teaching, you're training, you're still doing all the things as well. What was your um, yoga pedigree? Who did you stand to study under? For that? Um, I studied with the yoga school in New York. 
And okay. they come from the Krishnacharya tra- tradition, Deskachar tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and Krishnacharya was, um, <clears throat> they called him the father of modern yoga. Yeah. Or grandfather, I don't remember. But <laughs> mm-hmm. he, he essentially created vinyasa. Mm-hmm. So um, putting the movement and the breath together and flowing from posture to posture. Um, before that, it was mostly just holding postures. And it's kind of funny because most people, I mean, what do you think when somebody says yoga to you? It's like the first thing that comes into mind. It poses asanas and chicks in through the lemon yeah. pants, basically. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it's just like when you say to somebody, you know, what, what's the first thing that comes into mind when you think of martial arts and mm-hmm. be like, you know, somebody in a gi. Yeah. Or you say, what, are you, what do you think about combat martial arts? And it's like somebody in fatigues. Yeah. You know, it, it's like we have that certain uh, connotation with what, whatever it is, but that's not what it is. Right? Yeah. Um, and that actually brings me to the, the, the definition of yoga. Sure. Yeah. Which that's is, a good place to start. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. a great place to start, which yeah. is, um, and just so everybody who's listening understands, we've talked about this before, but I'm, I'm referring to Pantanjali's sutras and they're like 5,000 years old. They're originally an oral tradition and they weren't even written down until they were invaded. <laughs> and, mm. you know, people with writing started to write them down. So, um, I'm not going to go into the history too much because it's more, more of a sideline. Sure. Um, but um, the definition of yoga, according to the sutras, is yoga is the ability to direct the mind in a singular direction and stay there. Hmm. So that sounds very akin immediately to meditation to me, like almost almost the same thing. Exactly. Right. Well, or at least one type of meditation, like the, the mindfulness meditation, where you're, the goal is focus rather than like transcendence or realizing some higher truth. Right? Exactly. And then there's 196 sutras, and in all the 196 sutras, the only time posture is even talked about is the posture must be firm and comfortable hmm. or stable. Okay. That's the only time they talk about posture. They don't tell you which postures. They don't tell you how to do the postures. You know, that's the only time in 196 sutras that they say mm. anything about postures or asana. So where, yeah. did, where did that come in? Where did the idea of having to take different postures? Westerners. Really? Yeah. Like, they went, uh, what happened is in the early 1900s, uh, a whole bunch of Westerners were fascinated by by Indian um like yoga, mysticism, and everything like that. And they went over there, and they saw these people doing these crazy postures and gymnastic-type type moves. Hmm. And they're all, yo- you know, yogis and things yeah. like that. And they're like, oh, well, that must be what yoga is. And hmm. they came back to the United States, and that's... But, but what I mean, I'm not really thinking there's a couple of kind of key gurus. I can't remember some of the names of them. And that around, like, the 1950s or 60s, there was one guy who was, in particular, who was responsible for, like, bringing hot yoga into the States and other stuff yeah, like that. Bikram. So that. Bikram, that's it. Yeah, yeah. so there was... There were, there were key also like Indian teachers of yoga who came to the West and then taught as a, mm-hmm. as a series of flowing movements or as a series of held postures for a long time, right? And there, and there still are. So so the postures must have been in there at some point, but they were just yes. they just weren't emphasized in the same if, way. In the if you go back to like like 5,000 years ago and like yeah. the, the paintings they found on, on cave drawings or on buildings and things like that, yeah. like postures were just sit, sitting. Different ways to sit, kind of like Zen. so that you so can meditate. Like Zen. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it evolved into a practice that is supposed to be to balance the body, so that you could sit and meditate. Because if the body's out of balance, yeah, you can't sit and focus. Mm. You know, if you're if you're um, if you're sore or stiff or like you have an imbalance in your body or you have an imbalance in your mind, you're not going to be able to sit and meditate. So the pain, the pain and irritation becomes your focus, and exactly. th- those are the thoughts that you're trying to yeah. get past. And the sutras yeah. get into that too. The, all the distractions or all the, the ailments that that um, prevent us from being able to get into a state of yoga. Mm. You know, so that that goes back to the definition. Yoga. What is yoga? Belief to direct the mind in a singular direction. But it's also um, the way that we talk about it in my lineage with the yoga school. It comes from Krishnacharya. Mm. And for those who are listening, if you want to look it up, it's kym.org. 
okay. you can see, you know, where where this tradition comes from. Yeah. Um, but I was trained not by one guru, but I had um, several um, several teachers mm. all within this school, and they all had their own way of looking at it, mm. which is really fascinating. So um, they talked about how yoga is about relationship, because if you think about the word yoga, it means to yoke. You know, so you hook a cart up to an ox, right? Mm. Something like that. So yoga is all about studying relationship. It's not about studying, um, uh, well, it is about studying uh, the postures, but the postures help you study the relationship. So your relationship to uh, society, your relationship Mm. to other people, your relationship to yourself, your relationship Mm. to your environment. And that's one of the things that, like, you know, I wanted to keep this also about Sistema. True. To me, Sistema is, um, you know, studying relationship. Definitely, yeah. I mean, and right away, as soon as you said those things, uh, there's there's parallels there right away in, in that Sistema sense of, I mean, again, it's hard to define Sistema in the same way that it's hard to define yoga in the context of how many different types of it there are now. You know, it's like it's Sistema isn't just one thing. I mean, you and I are both of the kind of Ryabko uh, Vasiliev lineage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but Sistema can be, you know, Kadoshnikov Sistema, which is essentially just physics and biomechanics, like very sophisticated physics biomechanics but that's all it is right Right. that's what they're doing and then you've got like retowinski which is a lot of that plus emphasis on breathing and power and structure Mm -hmm. you've got like um you know sibersky you know stuff like that which again more focus on kind of like traditional movements and like spiraling movements and waves and things like that and then this lineage that we come from which has i think more not that i'm particularly experienced with a lot of other lineages of systema so maybe i'm not completely qualified to proclaim on this um but it seems like the difference is that we have this massive emphasis on awareness, on um, building robust health and resilience, right? More mm-hmm. than being a combat machine, you know, or something like that, right? And kind of the movements and the, the breathing and you know, the standing on your hands for 10 minutes in a push-up position, mm-hmm. right? The getting hit, the hitting people. But all of this is um, seems to be a means to an end of understanding yourself, right? And your weaknesses and your distractions and your tendencies, and seeing if you can kind of maintain this immovable spirit in the in the face of conflict and in the face of mm-hmm. agitation and all those things. And so and then ultimately you're learning to relate to somebody else, right? And a strike becomes a conversation between you and the other person, right? And you hit people in order to clean yourself and you hit people in order to clean them. And so every touch, every movement ultimately in our lineage purports to be like a conversation, right? And in, in recent years as well, um, both Vlad and Michael have talked increasingly about your relationship to the environment as you do this, right? We've done exercise with Vlad where you push mm-hmm. four or five people over and in order to do that, you have to kind of feel the whole room and the floor they're standing on and really be aware of what the entire situation is. So it seems to me it's the, it's the same kind of goal, right? But it's going through maybe some different principles. So in system we have, I mean, and this is a fairly recent phenomenon as well. It's only really in the last time, 10 or 15 years really that um, both Michael and uh, Constantine Komarov laid down these pillars of Sistema. Like before that, as I understand it, it was never made explicit. Mm-hmm. But this idea of breathing, um, structure, move relaxation, right, the control of those things. And now there's more of an emphasis on power, interestingly, that's coming in mm-hmm. now as well. Um, what are the equivalents in, in yoga? Are there core principles um, that all of yoga is based on, or is it not quite that? Um, well, there's, there's limbs. There's like a, um, there's different aspects of it. And, you know, some will argue that you go to Yoga Sutra 2.29, eight limbs of yoga, mm. uh, how they're defined. Um, and some will argue that they're actually put in order of importance. Mm. And this is this is fun. Mm. Um, so the first one would be the yamas, which is um, our social observances. So ways that we act in society that allow us to reach a state of yoga. Mm. Um, 
So this has to do with like non-violence, truthfulness, non-stealing, things like that. And that's supposed to be first and foremost. That's first and foremost. So it's kind of like virtue is the first thing. First, you're looking at your relationship to society. Okay. That's the first part. Yeah. Okay. Second part is the personal observances. So your your relationship to yourself. Hmm. And this would have to do with things like cleanliness, austerity, self-inquiry. Um, things like that. Mm. Okay, that's that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, next, next, we finally get to asana, mm. okay? and that would have to do with if we're going to think about what yoga is now, that would have to do with balancing the systems of the body, physical okay. aspect of what we're doing. Yeah. So it's not about how fancy of a pose you could do. And by the way, all those fancy poses in yoga, mm. they don't create good health. Mm. They are signs of good health. Mm. That's proof that you have good health, right? Like mm. so, like all that gymnastic stuff or the the big long flowing sequences, like are they actually balancing your system? Mm. Yoga was intended to be um, uh, incredibly uh, customized to the individual. Yeah. So like having everybody go into a yoga class, is everybody getting what they need in order to balance their body or are they just getting what's going through that cookie cutter class? So, that's, that's an interesting point. I don't want to derail you on yeah, going through these okay. principles, but um, what I found like, not for myself in particular, because I haven't gone very deeply into yoga in any mm-hmm. direction. I've done like a grand total of maybe a year of it at any one point, and it hasn't been in any deeply traditional discipline, right? It's just like, oh, I'll do this online thing, or there's a yoga teacher teaching a workshop nearby. I'll go to that, and it makes me feel good when I leave, or I'll go to one with my wife or something, right? Mm-hmm. And my wife um, started trying to go to a yoga class when we were in London, when we were living there, and it was quite a stressful kind of big city lifestyle, like New York, right, that kind of thing. And, um, and what put her off was this... And she's pretty flexible, pretty mobile, right? You know, she's a dancer, mm-hmm. you know, so she has good strength and good structure and mobility and all that kind of stuff. But what kind of put her off was kind of two things. One was just kind of the the affectations of the teacher who was just like, doing the special voice. <laughs> Everybody listen to me and breathe, breathe. And breathe. It was almost like going to a sermon at a church yeah. where everybody always adopts the and lo, he stood upon the mountain. Right, you can't <laughs> you can't talk in a church unless you do that, like in a traditional church. And and the other thing was this that um and I think she wasn't alone in this, that even though she's pretty strong and flexible and that kind of stuff, when you teach in that one size fits all manner, right, there's always gonna be like a certain number of people who are bored and there's gonna be a certain number of people who are gonna be I can't do this. I can't even get near this. And it just makes them feel inadequate. They're like, I can't stand in this way. I can't hold this position. This is torturous. Oh, the mysticism's a turnoff. Yeah. It's yeah. a huge so mysticism and then for Western mind. Mysticism yeah. and then like the immediate challenge, which is not tempered with any sort yeah. of progression. And you know that's I mean? not that's not yoga. I mean, okay. well, I mean, mm. that could be argued that it's not yoga. Mm. Right? Because um, honestly, I get into more of a state of yoga when I take your classes mm. than when I do when I take a standard yoga class at any school. Mm. And if we're looking at the postures as what they're supposed to do, yeah. which is balance out your imbalances, like yeah. what, uh, get rid of patterns of behavior that aren't supposed to be there and replace them with ones that are healthy. Mm. You know, you're not, you're not uh, limited to these gymnastic postures that came out maybe 150 years ago. Yeah. You know, like you're not limited to that. For some people, a yoga practice is taking a walk and breathing. Yeah. For some people, a yoga practice is just going and sitting next to the ocean for a couple hours, you know, but that's mine. That's definitely mine. Yeah. (laughs) You know, for some people it's push-ups, right? Some people it's a 30 second push-up down 30 seconds up. Right. Yeah. It, it, if you're thinking about balancing the physical systems, right, you have to do what's appropriate to you. It's not a cookie cutter idea. The thing is 
those poses are valid in strengthening and flexibility and things like that. Mm. But honestly, they're no different than anything you would see in gym, gymnastics or sure. dance, right? Okay. And that's yeah. why you have so many dancers teaching it because it's like, oh, well, I just have to hold one position for yeah. a couple of seconds. But, but then is it entirely possible to practice yoga in that way and get almost none of the deeper benefits in the same way that it's yes. possible to be a systemic student and just kind of endure a long push-up, you know, and just your shoulders are tense and you're right. shaking, you're just fighting and your face is all screwed up and you're hardly breathing and you're like, I'm just not going to fail, right? Like, yeah. In my experience doing that often doesn't really build any growth. You well, know, you just go back to the definition. Yeah, the yeah. definition of yoga, ability to direct, direct the mind. Mm. If you're twisting yourself up like a pretzel, are you able to direct your mind while you're doing it? Mm. If you are, then that's okay. Yeah. But if you can't, if you're like one of those people that can't hold your balance and stand in tree pose for 10 minutes, right? Mm. Um, then... What good is that to you if you can't focus your mind in that position? So trying to do a position that is not right for you is not mm. going to help you get to a state of yoga at all. Mm. And, you know, that's why I went into this lineage particularly because there are a lot, most of them are yoga therapists. Okay. So, like, the number one thing we learn with all the vinyasa that we do is don't hurt the student. <laughs> Hippocratic. <laughs> right. Do no harm. And yeah. a lot of people, the biggest thing that I heard, especially from Feldenkrais practitioners, that they hate yoga is that they're all, like, they have so many students they got hurt in yoga mm. and they're like, yoga injures people. I'm like yoga does not injure people. Mm. Right. What people, yo bad yoga teachers injure people. Yeah. Right? I guess so, in parallel, they're saying like, when you talk to people saying I do martial arts for a living or I teach martial arts, right. they're like, Oh, you're going to be all busted up and destroyed. And, you know, martial arts just destroys your knees and you're almost mm. like, well, some have more of a tendency to do that. And even within the martial art that you practice, there are safe and solid ways of practicing and there are less safe, right? There's right. always risk, but there's, yeah, sometimes we tip the dice that way. So what, what does asana actually mean? You mentioned that, um, so it, doesn't, it actually means posture, yeah. like akin to structure or how you hold yourself or what are the, what are the conversations? Um, I mean, I could look it up, but um, it's... What, you know, what's your take on it? What's my take on it is yeah. it's, it's physical balancing. So you're balancing, you're balancing the physical systems of the body. So, so that's akin to what structure means to us in Sistema, right? Yeah. Because in the early days of Sistema, this is interesting, you know, when you first start learning, people tend to think of structure as keep your back straight at all times, right? right? And never let it bend if you can help it when it's pulling you around. And then like, you know, have, and again, in other styles of Sistema and Kadoshnikov, you adopt a very specific structure where the shoulder blades are separated and the shoulders are kind of internally rotated all the time. There's like a, a weird bend in the hips and the knees are always a little bit bent and stuff like that, mm -hmm. you know? Um, whereas... Michael and Vlad tend to emphasize kind of a more what they call natural posture, right? And what structure means to, to me now, at least as a standard structure, is the dynamic balance of all those things, right? It's never just holding yourself in one straight position. It's the ability to balance out um, competing tensions around the body, right. right? Or competing tensions within the mind that manifest as competing tensions. Yeah, that's where we're going, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that's, that seems like a very strong parallel. Yeah, I mean, it, to, the posture must be firm and comfortable. Yeah. Or firm and... Uh, stable and comfortable. Yeah. That's essentially the only thing that they talk about in these Hi folks, Glenn here. As Systema for Life approaches its 100th episode, I'd like to take a minute to thank everyone who has contributed to the show, all our listeners, and to everyone who's offered requests, encouragement, and feedback along the way. I also need to ask a quick favor. We have already enjoyed two years of high-quality interviews, insights, and ideas on Systema for Life. We'd like to keep the show going, and we want to keep it open to all but we need your help to do it. It takes time, effort, and more than little cash to produce a podcast, more than two grand a year at current hosting and production rates. 
We have no paid advertising and we do it all off our own backs with help from listeners and generous supporters like you. So if you're a fan of Systema for Life and you get real value from the ideas and the conversations we create, then please take a few minutes now to subscribe at www.ncsystema.com slash support. Support at whatever level you feel like you can afford. Even $3 or $5 a month is a help. Think of it as buying us a beer or a cup of coffee once a month for our troubles. So visit ncsystema.com slash support and use the buttons on the page to select your preferred monthly or annual support level. You'll receive a confirmation on sign-up and you can cancel at any time. So then the next would be pranayama, which... Breathing. Breathing. Yeah. Breathing practices. Yeah. That's the balance, in my words, is to balance the energetic systems of the body. Okay. Okay. So, So how do you define the energetic systems? More what you're feeling. So as opposed to the kind of musculoskeletal, just how right, your body's moving. Right. So the, the, the meaty robot, not that part, right? Right, right. 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 So <laughs> like, what are the sensations that you're feeling in the body? This is something I think people are getting uh, very, when you're stuck in your mind a lot, when mm. you're stuck thinking about things and you're, you're stuck in that, what I call the tool, you know, the mind is a tool, mm. right? So when you're stuck identifying with that part of the mind, you lose sense of the body a little, sure. right? And we have a lot of exercises and you're, you're an expert at this, um, getting people to feel the different parts of the body and Mm. the energetic systems in the body. And then, you know, we do that through breathing. Like uh, yoga says that the breath is the, um, the link between the body and the mind. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it, um, that is precisely what pranayama is for. Right. Mm. After pranayama, now that we've balanced, now that we've balanced our societal obligations Mm. or our societal relationship, our personal relationship with ourselves. Yeah. Um, we balance our body mm. and we balance our energy. Now we can, now we can concentrate. Mm. So that's the next one. Mm. Concentrate. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I skipped one. Mm. Discipline of the senses. Once you're able to, um, balance your body, balance your mind. And then, um, you then have to take, take your concentration to your senses. So what are you hearing? What are you smelling? Sounds familiar. Sounds familiar right? Yeah. So, um, uh, things like that. And, uh, after discipline of the senses, then you can finally concentrate. Mm. Now that you've done all this discipline, now you can finally concentrate your mind. Yeah. Concentrate on a subject, right? You start to link with a subject. Mm. And, uh, after concentration is then meditation. You're Mm. finally meditating. Mm. Okay. And that's where you are, um, completely. And there's definitions of this in, in the sutras is that you are completely intertwined with that object Right. And it could be a concept, not a physical object. It could be a concept in meditate on peace. That's fine. That's a, yeah. you know, I'm concentrating on, um, I'm concentrating on the ocean because I want to take certain properties from the ocean. Sure. Right. I like the rolling and the flowing. So like I'm trying to take from that and you're now joined with that object and you're taking things from that object. Mm. And then the final stage is a word you're probably familiar with is Samadhi, which is integration. Mm. Now you integrate it into your life and mm. it's the final stage of yoga. Yeah. So the eight, those are the eight limbs of yoga, in my words. Okay? Yeah. So don't take them too seriously sure, yeah, because no. uh, that's the beautiful part of Sanskrit is yeah. like one word can mean multiple different things according to the person who's reading it. Sure. So like there's highly context dependent. Yeah. Depending. There's yeah, like the yeah. word shraddha, which is one of my favorite words, which um, if a religious person's reading it, will see it as faith. Mm. If a scientific person is looking at it, they will see it as um, maybe they might see it as like a uh, conviction. Right. Mm. Or trust. Mm. Right. And if you think about those words, they all have different connotations in English. Right. Sure. So the, that it all depends. But Shraddha is completely related to your belief system. Mm. 
mm. or whatever your way of organizing information is, mm. right? Or your ideology. So that, that shaha is a wonderful word for that, right? As that reminds us, I think we talked about this before, the mm -hmm. same thing in Japanese, right? I, I don't speak Sanskrit at all, but speak yeah, Japanese, right? <laughs> in, in Japanese, the idea of ki, right? Uh, that, right. which usually in like uh, martial arts classes, whether it's karate or aikido or whatever it's going to be, in the West, they normally translate that as energy, right? Ki is the energy. But ki in Japanese means, <laughs> it's very diffuse. It can mean a lot of different things and everything from kind of like tenki, which is weather. You know what I mean? Like the, the state of the heavens or the energy of the heavens mm -hmm. through to like, uh, you know, ki nishiteru. It's like whether you care about something like, or ki nishiteru. Like I put um, dedication or something into something, right? Mm -hmm. So if I don't care about something, or if I'm going to say to you, don't worry about it, I say ki nishiteru, which is like, don't put any energy into it. Like, don't, you know, kind of way, but it's not energy, right? I'm trying to translate it, but in, in my brain, it's not the same thing as right. English at all. It doesn't make any sense to say don't put any energy. But it's, um, it, it's, it floats between all of those meanings, and it depends on the context that you use it in, right? It's the same word. It just means very different things, right? But, um, yeah, that seems like yeah. the same way. So that's, to me, that's a fascinating structure. And right away, what I'm, what springs to mind is, is that that seems like an extraordinarily complete kind of framework toward kind of, um, kind of self-actualization, right? And, mm -hmm. and it seems like when certain things that you say within that framework seem to jump out and I'm like, oh, that's just like in Sistema and that's more or less kind of where we go with it as well. And certain other things jump out. I'm like, that sounds like meditation to me. That sounds like what you're trying mm -hmm. to do with meditation. But if we think about it from meditation, usually it seems like people just jump in at the point of, all right, let's try and connect with the senses and then try and meditate, right? Before, mm -hmm. and then, I guess there are schools of meditation where you do, exercises where you learn how to focus first, right? So you establish that ability to focus. And some of them start with um, an awareness of the senses and then awareness of focus and then meditation, right? And then, and it seems like though that's that's all there is, right? And it seems like yoga, that description of yoga, like right. brackets all of that with more that enables you to get there. And so I think maybe that leapfrogging means that some people don't have the, yeah. like, like you said, I, your I body actually, is irritating. I actually want to put you, in on that. For yeah, now. okay. Just yeah. simply because like uh, the thing I want to get into with you yeah. uh, today is is much more important and we could do a whole podcast just on meditation and linking and sure. things like that. We could do that some other time. Yeah. Um, but I really want to stay on track with this because the next, uh, so 1.2 is the definition of yoga, which we went over. Yeah. 1.3 is... So when you say 1.2, 1.3, at least like yeah, verses, the first almost, chapter, like, yeah. almost like yeah. Bible verses or something, like verse 2, Yeah, yeah, kind of like, okay. like, yeah. so like, so like the first chapter, yeah. first chapter um, yeah. 1.1 is now begins the teachings of yoga. Hmm. 1.2 is the definition of yoga, which we went over. And 1.3 is then, then by achieving a state of yoga, you become self-actualized or the seer is established. Yeah. So now you're acting from a place that is you, that is uniquely you. What, is who what you, you might call authentic in authentic, modern language. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people so, throw that term around now. Yeah. yeah. So in order to be authentic, though, you need to go through, uh, you need to balance all those systems we just talked about. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. And you need to be able to be thinking clearly from, from you know, how do things relate to you? Mm -hmm. So I'm not speaking from my ideas. I'm not speaking from my ideology. I'm speaking from my unique perspective on the world. Mm -hmm. And then 1.4, this is interesting, is if you're not acting from a place that is you, if you're not in a state of yoga, then you are acting from the arbitrary fluctuations of the mind. Mm. So the mind, um, so to me, yoga is looking at the mind as a tool. Mm. It's something that I use in order to take an in information, categorize it and communicate. Mm. Right. But it's not me. Yeah. And you don't want to end up. 
identifying with identifying that. with that. And yeah. if you think about that, that's the main focus that I wanted to go on to today. Sure. Is that's where most people are right now. That's where society is. Like mm. if you just take a look at Facebook, you take a look at Twitter, that is all mind, right? That's yeah. not people acting authentically. Mm. That's not people acting from themselves. It's acting from a place of misunderstanding. Or, or like assumed identity. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like I'm one of these people. Like I'm a Republican. Which, I'm a Democrat. I'm a gay person. I'm a black mm-hmm. person, or whatever it is. You know, it's just like that's that grouping is more important to me than being me. Exactly, yes, and that's yeah. one of the causes of suffering. Sure. Like when you talk about the clashes in chapter two, um, egotism, which is actually better translated as false identity, mm-hmm. right? And that's one of the major uh, uh, major causes of suffering, and all the causes of suffering. Um, and this is 5,000 years old. I mean, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, all the causes of suffering come from misapprehension. Yeah. From misunderstanding. Either your misunderstanding of society, misunderstanding of yourself, misunderstanding of your body, misunderstanding of your energy. Yeah. Right? Misunderstanding of your senses. Yeah. Yeah. So that takes us to 1.5, which is the, fu- uh, the different fluctuations of the mind. And mm. we were talking about this over a couple of beers, which was a lot sure. of fun. We like to fluctuate minds together. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well lubricated minds. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely say the yoga there. Right? <laughs> um, so uh, the the five fluctuations of the mind are comprehension, which is correct knowledge of the object, right? Mm. So correct, authentic, uh, correct knowledge of whatever it is that you're focusing on, right? Mm. Um, the second one is misunderstanding or misapprehension, which means na- uh, understanding of an object that is not its true nature. Gotcha. Okay, which we're full of right now. Yeah. Third is am- imagination. So being able to think of an object um, and understand an object without the object being present. Okay. okay? Uh, next one is deep sleep, which means that you uh, you're overcome with heaviness and there are no other activities in the mind. Mm. Okay. The state of deep deep relaxation that includes dreaming. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know, that's interesting. Cause that's a, yeah. That's yeah. A, that's in contrast to what most of science says about that there are sleep stages where you dream and there is deep sleep and there's no right. dreaming going on in deep sleep. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And then there's memory, which is retention of a past experience. Mm. And it can also be argued that memory itself is always misapprehension because there's no way that we can just the act of remembering something and recalling it. Yep. It we already change it. We're already putting a spin on it. We can't remember the whole picture. Yeah. Like I think we can only remember maybe like five percent of any moment at any time, sure. something like that. Uh, so. And every time you recall it, you associate it more strongly with the circuit where it was stored. So again, this exactly. is completely backed up by neuroscience that. Um, not only are our memories fallible, but they're in not in a predictable way, but it's kind of it's almost like a Chinese whispers game to yourself. Like every time you recall it, you change it a tiny bit until yeah. you can even convince yourself that something you were wearing a green shirt instead of a blue one, or that you were on holiday in Greece instead of Spain when that thing happened. Right? right? And you see married couples, right? This is old married couples. Is all they do is <laughs> correct themselves on things they think they know, right? <laughs> they correct each other on this. It's fascinating. So yeah. so yeah, we're stuck in we're stuck in this state where like um you know um we're not getting anywhere past the surface of what is said or the the this even this act that we're having right now of conversing on something mm. right this seems to be very um, foreign <laughs> in a way mm. right if you think about kind of like the the overall like what we're bombarded with every because everything's like a bipolar um, argument right mm. and everybody's so. Uh, I'm not saying I'm not saying everybody. I'm saying everyone. I'm not saying everybody who's like listening to this or everybody in the world. Um, I think everybody in the world does feel that there is this disconnect right now. Sure. Right. But everybody. When I say everybody, I'm thinking about everybody online. Everybody who has a voice that everybody hears right now. 
Mm. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, I wonder yeah. if that's not been the case for quite some time, even like mm -hmm. before the advent of online and social media. It's just that that's thrown everything into sharp relief. And now everybody getting forced indoors and that's their main yeah. mode of communication and socialization. Now we're seeing it like right in front of our faces. There's no avoiding the fact that it's a weird way to communicate and it's not doing as much good, right? And for most people, they're discovering that, you know, in very short order. Yeah, and then we have, um, like, somebody can put up a post, right? And they edit the post in order to um, uh, express what they want. Like, it's basically propaganda. Mm. Essentially, anybody can do propaganda right now. Sure. You know, like, you see this on Facebook all the time. Mm -hmm. You'll see it on, on Twitter. Like, mm -hmm. And we start to identify, those people start to identify with their thoughts. And just think about the action and, you know, Marketers know this, mm. you know, advertising knows this, the military knows this, everybody mm. kind of knows the psychological dynamic that's happening. Um, it's completely normal. People have been manipulating it for hundreds, maybe thousands of years mm. is that you say something, right? And you have it in writing and now it's been actualized. Mm. Now, and then you start to identify with that thing that you said and it's in writing and somebody else sees it and somebody else responds to it. And it doesn't matter if they respond in a positive way or a negative way, mm. a way that you like, a way that you don't like. But just the act of responding to that particular thing mm. actualizes that in your mind. And now you become, um, you become attached to that idea. And now you have an ideology forming, mm. right? And it has nothing to do with you. Mm. That's just the arbitrary turning of the mind. The mind is just manipulating you. So you're saying that under normal circumstances, if we weren't so kind of text dependent as a culture and we were just still kind of more oral tradition wise, right? right? We wouldn't take these snapshots of the mind make them permanent on Facebook and leave them there for people to argue with when essentially you've already moved on from that place, right? When by the time somebody's arguing with that point, you don't even think that anymore, right? <laughs> and, but you might, you feel compelled to defend it and go back. I mean, I've been prey to this many times over the past few yeah. months, you know what I mean? It's like, and then you're like, well, that's not really what I meant, but now I'm gonna have to clarify what I did mean, right? right. And then they argue with that, and now you have to defend that point, and it's, it's, you end up going into a tunnel from which there's no real escape most of the time, right? Mm -hmm. Unless, and here's an interesting thing I'm going to throw back to you. Unless somebody tries to engage with you, kind of assuming the best intentions, like all the time, right? You've put something mm -hmm. down and they're like, that makes sense to me, but isn't this also true? Or can you explain to me why this might also be the case or something like that? So I've had conversations like that before. I've put something down and then somebody has clearly been looking to understand more or mm -hmm. to educate me in a way that's positive. Be like, you've almost got it. But from my experience, there's there's something that you're missing there. So that way of thinking might be doing you harm. So I'm going to help educate you on mm -hmm. this, right? Um, and that's vanishingly rare, like on Facebook or email mm -hmm. or anything like that. But sometimes it does happen. So it occurs to me that it's the spirit in which information is offered or the way that you approach somebody, right? If that connection can even exist between two people through right. through Twitter or whatever it's going to be. Like it's, it's very difficult to do because you can't read body language or nonverbals and, and tones of voice and things like that. But sometimes people achieve it, right? Sometimes people really do have a conversation and they both reach some sort of accord through it or they're both some sort of knowledge. Does that have any worth at all? Or is that still, still to your mind, just egos, minds thinking that they're having a discussion with each other, but it's, it's kind of It's still an activity of the mind, but now you're yeah. looking at a productive activity of the mind. Okay. Okay. Now, now you're being productive because you're having an exchange. You're having, you're having uh, an authentic uh, exchange. And yeah, there is that authentic thing of being in person that you don't have there. Yeah. Right. And that's also, that's also a thing that it's that knee jerk thing that you got to get away from. Mm. Like, you know, there's like those keywords that just 
throw you off, right? Trigger phrases. And it's a problem. Yeah. It's a problem with English because English is such a specific language. Mm. Um, and but you're still stuck in the mind, and now you're doing a mental exercise. Mm. And at least there's there could be something that comes out of an exchange like that when it is, you know, friendly, mm. right? And you're willing to hear the other person. You're willing to uh, process the information before you respond. Mm. So there's a value to that, but it's still the mind, mm. right? It's still not. Are you identifying with that, and is that still you, mm. right? Or is that just your opinion right now that could change in another couple of days or weeks or months or years, right? The thing that is you is the thing that is ineffable. It doesn't change. Right. It's just observing the whole thing. So. Right. Yeah. And whether or not that thing is healthy is whether or not you're acting from that place or whether you're acting from the mind. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to quote Joseph Campbell on this. Do you mm-hmm. know Joseph Campbell? Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Power of myth. Yeah, yeah. And we mm-hmm. wouldn't have Star Wars without him either. Sure, yeah. So, and it, he, uh, he said um, in this one interview, it's actually on Netflix, he said... Uh, the mind, the mind is a secondary organ. It should not be put in control. Mm. You need to bring it to heal. Mm. You need to control the mind. You need to discipline the mind. And you need to not let it run you. Mm. Right? It's a tool. Mm. Right? Carpenter does not let his tools dictate to him what to do. Yeah. Right? And that's the best metaphor I could come up with for what yoga is and what's happening right now. Yeah. And you can see that in a lot of ways, right? I mean, even if you don't get into the restrictions of Twitter and what it does. It's like you have to put your entire frame of mind in one sentence and that tool then shapes the way that people communicate and they come off too mm-hmm. abrupt and they insult each other and it's, you know, or in Facebook, you know, the, the algorithm is we want to try and get a like from this. So I have to say something pithy so that somebody says something back, right? So mm-hmm. the, the tool itself then shapes the way that you interact or even something as stupid as like PowerPoint. You know, if you're like looking to give a, a, a talk to somebody or something like that, it's now everybody hates PowerPoint, right? It's been used for like <laughs> 20 years. And as soon as somebody fires up a PowerPoint and shows you a couple of bullet points, you're like, oh, even the mode of, com- of communication. And for me, if I'm creating a presentation, if I'm doing something like that, I have to do it all on paper first. And I have to craft my message and just think about what it is I want to get across and why all of those things and have the whole thing drawn literally like longhand, like an artwork before I'd even attempt it, because if I don't, if you start writing it on PowerPoint, the tool itself channels the way that you're going to express yourself, right? It, it restricts you to thinking in bullet points, and it restricts mm. you to, do you know what I mean? And then you end up talking like a robot, and people like, <laughs> drift off, and it doesn't really work. It should be mm. secondary to that. So is it kind of akin to that? But kind of from a kind of a, a devil's advocate position, mm. when most people hear that, right? I'm, I'm down with that. When you talk about this, the mind shouldn't run away with you, and shouldn't lead the chariot kind of thing. You know, you should right. be able to sit back in this thing and observe, drop back and see the emotions at play, see the thoughts at play, see the reactivity and communicate from that place, right? Um, but the lay person who hasn't studied much of this, either from a scientific point of view or from a traditional philosophy point of view, mm-hmm. um, usually will say like, well, if the mind's not leading them, what is? Do you know what I mean? If I'm not leading the mind, what's, what's in there that's basically holding the mind in check, surely the mind is the thing that I think with, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and come up with ideas. And so I have to engage it at some point in order to do anything useful. It's all very well sitting around for 20 years in a cave, like saffron robes, but I'm not gonna right. I'm not gonna create anything. I'm not going to contribute to society in terms of like um, the things that I can build. Right. So you can have a society like that, right, that sits around and contemplates everything all the time. But if you look at it like those traditional societies have achieved a lot in terms of contributions to philosophy but have they ever invented an engine have they ever like invented an economy have they ever invented like new medicines typically no right they, they, mm-hmm. they move fairly slowly and they 
they're content in what they're doing. It seems just to exist. And if we had a whole society of those, we would never have landed on the moon. Okay, we've never have like gone anywhere. You know, we've never. Right. And that's not to say that the be all end all of life is to achieve things and build things and have jobs and make money. But there has to be some sort of balance. So I was I was listening to a. I'm kind of paraphrasing now, like another mm-hmm. podcast I was listening to recently, um, in which there was somebody who'd studied um, the effects of different philosophies on the mind and how, um, in terms of neurologically, right, what it does to the mind um, versus like a hard neuroscientist talking about this, right? And and that was the argument. It's like that if we we just subsume ourselves entirely to sit back, observe, watch everything, right, then we don't direct ourselves enough. But on the flip side, if we become identified with just mind and concentrating on things, then we lose our innate selves. Is there a balance to kind of throw Yeah, my question to you is why does it have to be one or the other? Right? If somebody sure, was to yeah. ask me that, why does it have to be one or the other? Why can't it be both? Yeah. I mean, if you look at a lot of yoga teachers, especially in my tradition, mm. like they were engineers. Mm. Like my lineage, like Desiachar was an engineer. Yeah. Right. And he wanted to demystify yoga. Sure. So look. So if you look at my my tradition of yoga, mm. you're looking at yoga from an, from a, a point of view of an engineer that didn't want to have any mysticism mm. or any talk of religion in it whatsoever. Sure. Right. And his father. He had the equivalent of like eight PhDs. Mm. So when I say to you, like when you say that to me, it's like, well, I mean, imagine what you can do if you develop your 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 sense of yourself along mm. with your mind. Sure. Yeah. Right? And then you allow your mind to be the tool that yourself uses. Yeah. Rather than the other way around. Sure. Because um and so then, it's, just, it's just about the emphasis and the order then. It's exactly. not like one or the other. It's exactly. Like, yeah. It's not one or the other. You it's, need it's you need the tool to do things, but it just yeah. comes yeah. And that's because we have all these crazy uh this crazy Western mentality of gurus. Mm. Guru is horrible. It's a horrible idea. It's mm. an absolutely horrible idea. What 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 is is it um <laughs> What does guru even mean? Does it just mean teacher? And it's been kind of like taken and blown up into something else like sensei in Japan. Right? Yeah. Sensei just means like literally a person who came before you, who right. learned it before you. And now, it, now it's akin to yeah, master. Let's, or let's not get into that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's stick on the I, I mean, I think, it's, I think it is important though, because again, yeah. the reasons why people don't do this, the reason, some of the reasons why people don't study yoga or don't um, study meditation, for example, is because they see examples of like gurus who will not necessarily Indian or yoga ones, right? It could be some meditation master or some, you know, somebody who found some sort of cult based on meditation or something like that, mm-hmm. like here, right? And they lead all these retreats and they do all these things. And then they it's found out that they're like systematically having sex with all their disciples yeah. and all this kind of stuff. There's some um, documentary on Netflix about Bikram, right? And he was a terrible individual, right? And just yeah. abused all these women and all that kind of stuff. And so people see that and they're like, hmm, then the methodology can't be that great if it allows you to be that terrible a person, right? Oh. And, and granted, that's like one yeah. person, and, and it's just the tool that they're using, and obviously they've gone awry somewhere. But but there's no doubt that these people have, like, they've achieved some sort of power and self-control, but then they're directing their mind in a way that kind of gets their desires, they right? They call it dark stuff. yoga. Okay. Yeah. Essentially, it's like the dark side. <laughs> dark yoga. Yeah, right. dark yoga. It's basically dark yogis. Yeah, that, that's an awesome name for a metal yeah. band in Oregon. That should be <laughs> we, should start, we should start that. It doesn't exist already. We should oh, start man. a band called dark yoga. But yeah, I mean, uh, Krishnamacharya <laughs> Krishnamacharya used to say, like, don't call me a guru. Mm. I mean, this guy, if anybody was a guru, it was this guy. Yeah. He is responsible for Iyengar, Bikram, all those guys. He came mm. before them. He taught them. Yeah. Right? And he, he taught a lot of the people who came to the West and started all these different... Um, these different lineages. Yeah. And, um, you know, he was like, don't call me a yogi. Don't call me a guru. What, what right do I have to say that I am a guru? Mm-hmm. What right do I have to say that I'm a yogi? 
And that might come from that same Japanese idea. like, what right am I to call myself a sensei? Which they don't, by the way. It's my students no. call me sensei. Yeah. But I don't, I don't call myself sensei. It's Kyoshi. And it's See the yourself. exact same Kyoshi. type of thing. Yeah. And that's egotism, yeah. false identity. Yeah. Right? That takes you right back to the clashes, which is a cause of suffering. So right. how does, so in yoga, how do you, what's the, what's the treatment for that? So in Sistema, the idea is like, we're told a similar kind of thing, like mm-hmm. don't get attached to your ego, cultivate humility. If you don't cultivate humility, almost everything else is wasted, right? Because you can't right. learn, you see things, you know, <clears throat> through the eyes of your fear or your anger. And Vlad and Michael talk about this. And the way we typically cultivate humility in Sistema is we do very difficult things or we get beaten up or we, <laughs> or we try to like wrestle or fight and things like that with observing ourselves and just watching when we feel sorry for ourselves, watching mm-hmm. when we get angry, watching when we get out of control. And in doing so, it's kind of like a live laboratory of emotion and mind, right? right. And then we see our ego rearing its ugly head, right? And then we, in doing that, in theory, right, time and time again and having good instruction and good teachers and things like that, then we'll eventually learn to recognize it and then temper it, right? Uh, again, I'm paraphrasing. No, that's great. Um, um, but that seems to be the way. So how does yoga approach that? Because it seems well, to me that ego, this, yeah. ego, ego seems to assert itself in relationship to other people, right? Yeah. It's like that's when you're most strongly defending your ego when somebody else challenges yours, right? Mm-hmm. Or you're trying to establish yourself as different to somebody else or different to something, right? Some idea. So it happens in relationship. In Sistema, it's a part of the practice. So that the ego surfaces very, very quickly. If you if you don't feel like you're doing very well or you're losing a wrestling match or you get hit too hard or something happens, right? You're like... Mm why'd you do that to me? How dare you? Or, or something like that, right? But yoga is typically not a part of practice, right? So h- how do you study the ego in yoga? Um, well, there is, uh, well, there's a couple different things okay. from what you said. Sure. And that's like essentially the entire sutras, the mm. Pantanjali sutras. But there is one that um, I wanted to bring up is 1.33, which has to do our attitudes towards other people, mm. right? And um, this is a loose translation because this is my my take on the, the essence of it is um, friendship to people who are content, uh, compassion to those who are suffering, mm-hmm. um, joy for those who are virtuous, without a word, mm-hmm. <laughs> and mental steadiness towards those who are aggressive. Mm-hmm. So those are attitudes that we need to take towards people in order to achieve the state of yoga. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a very neutral place, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and you need to be acting from that nice centered authentic place mm. not from your emotions or the arbitrary turns of your mind like i'll give you an example like i have a, I, I had a friend in new york who was i mean he was the most like hardcore right-wing person like mm. you could ever meet mm. right and the way that he sounded when he talked about politics was that he he didn't care about anybody he didn't want anybody to take anything from him you know that type mm. of thing you know and that's getting stuck in the mind because, you know, like most people watch Fox News all day. And yeah. That's all just like feeding off people's anger, sure. essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you're feeding off fear, you're feeding off anger in that mm-hmm. part of the mind. That's also one of the cliches too, which is fear. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he, But you followed him around. He went around town and he gave everybody who was out walking their dog bags of treats to get to their dog. Mm-hmm. Right? I never knew anybody who was involved in more charities. Mm-hmm. Like he gave away all his money. So like everybody, like probably about 75% of what he made, he gave it to other people. He worked for a big bank or whatever. He wow. just, he was one of the most generous people and he loved his friends. But to hear him talk about politics, you'd swear he was like racist, angry. Yeah. Like, you know, just to hear him like go down that rabbit hole. But see, th- this is the thing. You saw the part of him that was authentic and he was a wonderful human being, mm. but he was just stuck in his mind. Mm. He stuck, he was stuck in the, um, the script mm. that he was given by somebody else. Mm. right that wasn't him yeah that 
was the script of everything that was thrown at him in his life. Yeah. Right. And because he had an emotion of insecurity or fear, he attached himself to somebody else's opinions sure. based on that fear and insecurity. Yeah. And that's what happens to the mind when you're not working from a point of clarity. Mm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, so it's almost like yoga or or sistema, right? Depending on which way you want right. to attack it, right? Same thing. Yes. Yeah. Are both kind of a working antidote towards what's ailing most people right now, right? We, a lot of people are looking at the state of the world right now and saying, what we need is a change in politics. What we need is a change in the economy. What we need is a change in healthcare structures and the way that we, you know, um, decide local versus state level government or whatever it's going to be. But that might be true, right? That that might all be required. There might be a big reshake in the way that things are working clearly isn't working, right? But what you're saying is that before we can even get there, before we can even have those discussions, we need to be able to kind of everybody sit back, act from an authentic place, and then we can have conversations in which some good might come of it, right? Because if you don't, it's almost like you're schizophrenic, right? Like you have right. one set of beliefs that you want to you have. You want to be like genuine to people. You want to be. You want to um, look after people, and you want to kind of be, you know, a good Christian or a good Muslim or a good, you know, a person that carries through those virtues. Or if you, you know, even if you're atheist, right, you have a series of beliefs or values or an honor mm -hmm. code that you have yourself and that kind of stuff, right? And whatever those things are, you want to defend them, but then you have these off-the-shelf beliefs that have come from somewhere else, and it might be from Fox News, it might be from CNN, right? Or it right. might be from Guru Bikram, or it might be right. from somebody else that you've just identified with very, very closely or something. And that's not helpful, right? If you So what you're saying is it's okay to learn things, it's okay to listen to people, but ultimately the place that you act and communicate from shouldn't be that place, right? It shouldn't just right. be like regurgitating other people's words. Right, and if you look at like something like you know, I'm picking on Facebook a lot today, sure. but it's true. Like Facebook is, yeah. Facebook is really bad for your health. Sure. I'm, I mean, I look at it as a tool. It's a tool for my business and it's a tool to keep in touch with my family yeah. and see what they're up to. Because mm -hmm. I love seeing pictures from my family and my friends and things like that. Just to make sure they're, yeah. but just think about, think about the scatterbrain schizophrenia of Facebook. Yeah. You'll have a post from somebody in your family that's having a wonderful day, things like that. Then you get an angry political post. Then you get an advertisement mm. that's based on your previous search preferences. Sure. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, you're bouncing from thing to thing to thing. That's exactly the opposite of yoga. That is a that is that is the fluctuations of the mind. And that's mm. that's like schizophrenia. You're you're not and you're stuck in those things and not in yourself. And then also a visual like mm. when we take in visual information that definitely sticks us in, into the brain, yeah. right? That's why um, if I have any suggestion for anybody at, uh, for listening to their news and being able to think about it objectively, listen to the news. Mm. Don't watch it. Don't read it. Listen. Mm. The ability to listen is getting lost. I mean, you can hear it in our music. We just, we have these, um, these scattered albums of just a collection of songs. There's no albums anymore. Yeah. How, how often do, I mean, even for us, how often do you sit down and listen, listen to a whole album. album from beginning to end? Yeah, that's also because I've got kids. kids I've got kids, though. So right. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't do anything for half an hour continuously. But. Right, but I don't. Yeah. I used yeah. to when I was a kid. Sure. I, I used to listen to an album all the way through. Every time I got a new album, I'd yep. sit down and listen. It was like a daily thing. Yeah, the only, the only time I do that now is in the car on a long road trip. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. you get to listen to an entire album on the road trip. Even then, I've got Cora in the back seat. So I'm, play some Elsa! <laughs> you know. Anyway, okay, so, um, so there's a lot to be... There's obviously a lot of core value and there's a lot to be pulled mm. out of those ideas and those philosophical underpinnings of original traditions of yoga and that kind of stuff right mm. how um in what ways do you feel like what what things do you find for yourself that are essential in yoga practice that are either absent 
or are less emphasized in Sistema? What things like do you find in yoga? Because you continue to practice yoga, right. right? So some people might have practiced yoga once. Like I practiced different martial arts before. I had different. I practiced the Zen meditation when I was in Japan, and when I found Sistema, it's like I almost I had the ability. I had the option of dropping those other things that weren't quite working for me because Sistema contained most of what I wanted. Right. It had, you know, the state that you're talking about to me is just the state that you try and cultivate in Sistema, right? It's what, right. Literally what Constantine calls it, just the state, right? And that way. And so I, I, can, I can get myself into those states and I can study with way better instructors. I can study with Vladimir and I can study with people from HQ and they can help me understand those states even more and get back mm. into it. And that has continuous <clears throat> value for me. And, you know, I'm always learning more and more about how to do that, right? From mm. people that are better than me at it. I, I haven't found a need to then seek something else in yoga. And I'm not saying, you know, yeah. but so, so I'm intrigued as to what it is that you find in yoga that's additionally helpful. Do you know what I mean? What, what does yoga do that either assists your systemic practice or gives you something that systemic doesn't, you know? Um, yeah, and you, you may not need to. You know, mm. systemic may be your yoga. That's all you need to get. That's your map. Okay. Um, you know, yoga is just another map. Okay. System is one map. Yoga is another map. Okay. And... They're all paths to the same point that we want to get to. We all want to kind of get to that flow, the state, you know. Yeah. We all want to get there. And the thing I think yoga has offered me particularly is that it has a lot more if-thens in in the traditional sense. Like if you're Mm -hmm. looking at the sutras, sutras are all like if-thens, right? Like here's one path. If this path doesn't work for you, here's another path. Mm -hmm. Here's another path. Here's another path. You can take the path of faith. So it's more easily structured. It's more progressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right, right. There's a lot more... It's 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 more mapped out, more concrete. Think, yeah, like they've mm. they've. Uh, I wouldn't say it's concrete because it's very it's a very malleable philosophy, mm. right? Whereas like Sistema, it's still fairly new. Mm-hmm. I mean, how old is it? Thirty five, forty years old. That's just not what it is. Yeah, I mean, for yeah. about how far it went back before right. that. Right. Even right. then, it's probably not more than maybe a there might years be maybe yeah. there might be this the Sistema Sistema Sutras at some point sure. of yeah. how to go through it systematically of the things that the teachers found. But I mean, yeah. if you're looking at yoga, yoga is over five thousand years old, sure. and you know, different yoga teachers used to get together, discuss it, and then be like, okay, well, here's yeah, you know, and it it, it codified kind of right, right, right. Yeah. So it, it it's just another way to talk about the same exact thing. You know, some people can fast track. Some people can yeah. just skip over all that stuff. But as a teacher, it helps yeah. me understand what's also going on with my students and also going on when I, talk, when I talk to people. For me, the sutras were my way of making sense of the world, my way right. of making sense of thought. So they give you, it gives you kind of an additional blueprint or stepping stones right. between the big jumps. It, ta- it talks a little bit more about the consequences of the different aspects of thought yeah. than yoga, than Sistema does. Sure. Sistema is kind of like... Um, uh, for me, let's get to the practices. Let's get to the state. Mm. Um, but you know, I also want to understand the consequences of not getting in that state yeah. and understand how that works, mm. so that I can also navigate that. Yeah, you know, as well. So that's a whole other aspect to the same navigation, right? Yeah. And some people are just incredibly intuitive about going through the world like that. Me, not so much. Mm. Um, so having uh, having some way to actually think about the way people think. Yeah. Without getting emotional about it sure. and being able to say, oh, well, now I understand why this mm. person's going down that path. And now I can choose whether or not I engage or nice. whether or not I go that way. You know, so it's not just, um, yeah, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to talk about. I mean, yeah. I, the thing that jumps out to me right away is that not everybody 
probably cut out for Sistema. I feel like everybody could benefit could benefit from it if they wanted to train, but like my wife doesn't want to practice Sistema. She just doesn't want to roll around and get thumped by sweaty dudes, you know, it's like, which is part of the practice. And you could arguably, and we're having to find this out now, right, in a way, teaching in isolation and being limited in the ways that we can um, train and teach, especially during phase one lockdowns and things like that. It's just like how much of Sistema can we really get across here? And it's almost like those those classes almost become like systemic yoga, you know, it's like you're, you're spending like an hour and a half really just focusing on internal sensations and holding, holding a position and seeing whether or not you get power from that or whether you're just enduring it and, you know, looking at your thought patterns and whether or not you're feeling sorry for yourself and just kind of analyzing little parts of movement and pressures and ways that you're interacting with the world. Right. Mm-hmm. But not so much with each other. Right. And so it's almost like systemic and, and some, you know, some instructors even argue that there's, you know, there's no point in training without somebody else, right? Like, you know, some people have gone so strongly to say that. Another misunderstanding. Right. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe not. You know, for me, yeah. there's, you know, and from what Vlad and Michael say, there's like most of Sistema goes on on your own, right? There's, it's, that's literally like 70 to 90% of it is your own, your understanding of yourself, the work that you do yourself, conditioning your mind, conditioning your body, self-examination, mm-hmm. doing all that work. And the other, like, 10 to 20% is what you do when you're rolling around with somebody else in the Sistema class. You know, it's like you should come to that class already armed with some of that feeling and that state and that knowledge. So if you have to use the entire class just to find that state, you get maybe 10 minutes of useful work in at the end of the thing, right? So, so for me, maybe yoga offers a pathway for people who either couldn't tolerate Sistema or like the framework of Sistema is too loose and it's too, you know, it's like it's a little bit too free form for them, and they 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 just want to be told what to do at some point, you know. Yeah, you know? is you know? that yeah. is that yoga, right? Like, it, remember mm. if we're if we're talking about yoga as the definition of yoga, yeah, you're teaching more yoga than a lot of yoga teachers. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, <laughs> no, you are, you are, because yeah. like, see, in in some way, and this is not like criticizing you in any way, sure, but still, you still are. That remember when I originally asked you at the beginning, mm. what what comes to mind when you think of yoga? Sure. That's still your default. Sure. That's, right? that's the common. And I want to remind you that yeah. yoga means the ability to direct the mind in a singular direction and stay there. Okay. Yeah. Relationship. Yeah. To be have a relationship with your body, relationship with other people, relationship with the environment. Mm. That's yoga. You are teaching yoga. You're mm. just not calling it yoga. Okay. Right? Yeah. So th- this is the misconception. Yeah. Right? This is the misunderstanding, and that's a cause of suffering. Gotcha. You know, much, uh, you know, so... For some people, the physical practice of Sistema brings them to the state of yoga better than than uh, conventional Western yoga practice, yeah. right? So it's really what kind of works for the individual. Gotcha. You know? And yeah. that's what my teacher says is whatever works in the individual works. Yeah. You know, that's what they should be doing. Whatever brings them to that state. Are there any ways? So <clears throat> you've obviously found yoga, your practice of yoga, right? Mm-hmm. And your practice of Sistema to be very complementary, right? They seem to feed into each other and... Mm-hmm. Um, and work off each other. Are there any ways in which you found that they clash or could clash? Not in the least. Really? Okay. Not at all. Yeah. Uh-huh. Not not even. And that's why it took me ten years to find a yoga teacher that I actually like. Okay. So so you're saying if with some teachers and some disciplines, if I would have went down like the Jiva Mukti way or something like that, or the Bikram yeah. way or something like that, yeah, there'd be a lot of clash. Because I'm just reminded of like really specific breathing techniques and things like that, mm-hmm. like. From a systemic point of view, like I've, I've met some people who have done some disciplines of yoga who breathe in that way when they come to class, and they're literally making themselves tense. 
yeah. like to, to show you how deep they can breathe. You know, <laughs> I'm like, whoa, we need to relax. You know, with that. So the, and again, there's there's a lot to breathing. You know, there's, yeah. I'm sure within pranayama, there's reams of misunderstanding again. Misunderstanding again. The yeah. same thing with systemic breathing. Like some people think first breathing is right. breathing it's in like and out. It's like really saying that this breathing exercise is going to make you calm all the time. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily do that. Like yeah. we used to do. We used to do. And this is the great thing about about the the sutras and about uh, my lineage of, of yoga is that it's kind of scientific. Yeah. We do the research. Like yeah. We sat around during our yoga training and we did all the standard pranayama techniques mm-hmm. and the standard breathing techniques. And then we wrote down what we felt about it. And you go around the room and maybe five people had the same, uh, same experience, mm-hmm. but then the other five had very, very different experiences than mm-hmm. those five. So all you can do is just take, uh, take the data from, you know, how, how it affected the majority of people. And then mm-hmm. now you have a tool that you know works most of the time. Sure. And then you go through that and you're like, okay, well, you know, if yoga was done, if, if yoga practices were taught correctly, like, okay, well, how did that make you feel? Okay, that's right for you. Or no, that's not right for you. Let me give you something else. Mm. Right. And then there's a amount of time. It's like, you, it's like medicine. You know, yeah, it's like you can't, it's like one medicine. drug doesn't always fit. fit. Well, well, sometimes you've got to be like, okay, that you don't react well to that. Here's these, something else that might help. These people were doctors. Sure. Yeah. These people were doctors. I mean, they, they were... They had PhDs in Ayurveda and, mm. you know, all types of healing modalities. Sure. Like these people were not the, they were not just, you know, some 25 year old dancer that needed a sidekick. Mm. Right. Whole different thing. Gotcha. Like that's just exercise. Mm. Um, you know. Um, so is that, um, so one of the things I was going to um, that kind of stuck a pin in earlier on that I kind of want to come back to was this idea of connection coming first. I think that's really interesting. Like before mm. the focus on the self. Again, I was listening to another podcast, like a neuroscience-based one, that was talking about, um, you know, a lot is always said about mindfulness, meditation, and practices that get you uh, more embodied, more understanding of the self, all those kinds of things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there was an interesting study that was done. There's been a lot of research that's shown that there's a lot of physical benefit to learning those practices, right? Whether you achieve some sort of transcendence through meditation or whether you do it yoga or some other means. And typically, it's just something like mindfulness-based stress reduction or something that's being studied there, right? Some mm-hmm. mindfulness meditation practice. Um, and there are definite physical um, you know, benefits to doing that. They'll, they'll show that you know, blood pressure goes down. There's, um, you, know, you have more activity in your natural killer cells and white blood cells. You know, your immune system is literally stronger um, if, you, if you find those things, right? But if you take those results and then you split them out and you look at how people behave right, on an individual level, it's entirely possible for you to be like a 30-year meditation meditator or like modern yoga practitioner who spends all their time thinking about themselves and their or relinquishing the self. Do you know what I mean? The self, 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 all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But not much on connection, right? And those people, interestingly, even though they get some individual benefit from it, they're often very, very focused and they do very, very well in work. They get up at five in the morning and like crush their goals and deliver mm-hmm. on things and all that kind of stuff but then tend towards narcissism and like some really bad personality traits when it comes to interacting with other people. So it seems like a, an overemphasized focus on the self and like, I'm going to go inside and look at myself and what's going on mm-hmm. for too long a period of time. If you don't temper that with like a focus on connection and awareness of you and the outside world, or like, I'm not really that important. I'm just a part of this bigger whole if you don't do that as part of your practice, there's a real danger that you go into yourself and yeah. you become powerful and focused, right? And so you get all the all the benefits of increased focus and increased awareness of your emotions. And you can control yourself a lot more in that way. But 
it seems like without that connection, we lose something. And I think that's something really, really interesting because in Sistema, often it seems like the whether you're wrestling or whether you're striking, however you're working, right? It's um, always in the beginning and for many, many years, actually, I always considered it like you have to find yourself first. And this is paraphrasing Vlad, actually, he used to say this like many, many, many different ways, right? Find yourself, right? If you're unstructured, if your body's not balanced, right? I won't say spine straight and all those things because mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be necessarily, but your body's not balanced and you don't have weight in your body um, and relaxation where you need it. Whatever you do next is probably going to be a waste of time, right? You're not going to deliver right. anything with power. You're not going to be able to move somebody without them realizing what you're doing, all that kind of stuff. Once you've found yourself, you can find your partner, like your opponent, mm-hmm. um, and then you become like a system and then you move that person around. You know what I mean? And like, then it's a relationship and then we're moving, right? We're doing right. things, whether it's throwing, whether it's wrestling on the ground, whether it's striking, wherever it is. But now increasingly, it seems like the emphasis that Vlad and Michael are putting on things is that you just come into the situation and you feel the entire room and you feel the other person. And so you're mm-hmm. establishing that connection even before there's any physical contact and even before you really put much emphasis on yourself, right? You still need to have those things embodied to be able to, there's a certain amount of training and practice that your body has to be a good antenna before you can even start to do that. But it seems like the connection is all important if you come into that situation and make a difference, like influence somebody's moves then yeah. or something. Right? And that's really interesting to me because it's not, I don't think it's something that's emphasized at all in most other martial arts, right? right. It's, it's, you know, to the point where you just, you smashing away on a punch bag or studying karate forms on your own, doing katas with a sword or whatever it is. And then eventually you do a partner practice where you're still focusing on how you're going to overcome and, dominate them right and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff and then you just repeat these movements over and over again you get muscle memory and you get better at them right and a lot of martial arts that way others focus on a lot more push and pull and sensitivity and developing attributes and reflexes that's true but very few come from this point of view of like we have to look at the entire system mm-hmm. right first the connection is actually what's important and then we can work our way back towards what's my part in the system right have you got any thoughts or insights on that that's just something tons yeah, just yeah. long hours ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're actually rolled out towards the end. It's maybe not a good one to drop. Yeah, it's right probably end, not. But, yeah, yeah, but maybe um, we can do another a part two to this. But it's just something which, that jumped out at me when you said said that the um, sutras would, were listed in order of importance, right? And that you had connection. It could be our connection to society yeah. before. Remember, it's also it's also a balancing act, though, too. Okay, like yeah. somebody like you who's who's fairly social. You're really you're social, you're a very social person. Nobody's ever accused me of being an introvert. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> so, but I am a little introverted. Sure. So, like, if my teacher sees that, they're going. If I have a good teacher, yeah. the teacher's going to see that I'm introverted and give me something that helps me to kind of balance that. Not mm. that I become an extrovert, but that I come somewhere to the middle. Yeah. They see that you're extroverted, and they might be, oh, well, you need to do a little more introspection. So they pull you back to the middle. Mm. That's what a good teacher is going to do. Right. Okay. And I know you've had experiences with Vlad like this too, saying sure. like, you need this right now or you sure. don't need this right now, right? Yeah. That type of thing. You know, you mm. need to stop doing this, you need to start doing this. And he's done it with me too, and Eggers has done it with yeah. me. You know, that um like for the longest time for me, I was just so stiff and like I just want to do that whole Edo jujitsu thing of just finding the right angle. Sure. And my structure was strong and mm. right there. And then, you know, and then Eggers told me you gotta lose for a little while. Yeah. He's like, You have to you have to spend time losing and seeing what comes out of losing. Mm. And so I lost for a good five, six years. Mm. And now um, I'm just starting to come out of this imbalance because I went to the the extreme where I was getting so used to losing and seeing all the beauty that comes out of that, Mm. that now I'm taking too much and I'm not giving enough back Mm. and I'm not always structured. Mm. And you see this sometimes like, and and sometimes I can't gauge when um, in the moment I can Mm. tell afterwards, but in the moment I can't always gauge that, okay, I should have been proactive there or I should have received 
Sure. You know, yeah. and I can't always gauge that until afterwards. Mm. And then I'm like, oh, well, I should be more proactive there. That's like a conversation where I said, that's what I should have said. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, like, you know, you, that, that, that's yeah. a good teacher's going to see that and point you in the right direction. So I was like very active, very proactive for a long time. Mm. And then my teacher told me, oh, we got to lose for a while. Now I'm mm. too much in the other way. And um, the last year or two, I've been bringing it back to the center. Yeah. Right. So that, that's essentially what a good teacher is going to do. And you need a teacher that's going to be with you over the long term to kind of see your ebb and flow, see what's, see where you're, you're tilting and go back to the center. And unfortunately, we don't, have, we don't have anybody to really do that for us when it comes to how we, we express ourselves on the Internet or anything like that. Sure. And we just get caught up in, in something else, you know. Yeah. So and there's a whole lot of misunderstanding there, yeah. a lot of misunderstanding. Um, so, so what you're saying is it's like there's different horses for different courses depending on the person. Right. You might need to go inside and understand more of yourself or you might need to reach out a little bit and understand your relationships. This cookie cutter, like one size fits all method does yeah. not work for any aspect of our society. Yeah. Like one, I don't want to go down another rabbit hole, but yeah. just look at the monitor. Mm-hmm. Like our entire, it, and just, and when you say that, I know immediately that there's a whole bunch of listeners that are going to like, they're going to put up that cognitive dissonance wall. Like, no, yeah. but that's the way it has to be. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Right. That's a misunderstanding. Yeah. Right. That's a crisis of um, crisis of just patterns. Yeah. Right. A pattern that is incredibly bad for us that we keep on doing over and over again. Mm. And you can look at any aspect of our society right now and kind of see that that's what's happening. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's this repeat of a pattern that we keep claiming we need that mm. we don't. Mm. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. 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 And yeah. I think that's kind of like my my whole perspective on what's happening right now is like. We have all these patterns that people are clinging to that are incredibly unhealthy for our mind, mm. unhealthy for our bodies, yet we keep on doing them. Well, maybe there's going to be a... Maybe this, is a them. maybe this is a necessary crucible, you know? It's going to force yeah. people to look at what they need. I mean, like, three days ago, I sold my car, right? Because I'm like, well, I've been here four months. We have, like, an SUV. Like, we're not driving anywhere at different times anymore. So mm. why do we need two cars? Plus, I got a motorcycle. But, <laughs> yeah. but you know, the point yeah. is, I, did, I was only maintaining it because it's like, well, it's convenient to have a car all the time. You know, if I have to go somewhere at the same time as Heather and the kids, I can go. If it's raining and I don't want to go take the bike, you know. But I'm like, yeah, it's, I don't need it. So let's just sell the car. And I wasn't worried about making all the money off it or stringing it out and showing it to all the people or what's going on. I'm like, yeah, let's just get rid of the car. I don't need it. You know, and it's, it makes you realize what's, what's important, what's not important, you know, and what you need. In the same way that sometimes if you're going through, you know, illness or bereavement or something like that. It just, all of a sudden, all the daft shit you've been arguing about, worrying about for months just seems to go out the window. Like nothing else yeah. seems to be important but family or health or, you know, it just, it forces you. And I think this is forcing that on the societal level. It's asking, it's asking us to be, to worry about our health, worry about other people's health and to worry about um, the state of people around us, right? It's forcing mm-hmm. us to be compassionate in a way that some people aren't used to doing a lot of the time, right? right. Or it's forcing us to um, look at the limits of our self-imposed beliefs about freedom, about rights, and about, you know, um, responsibility, right? All of these things like, are coming out of this, and not everybody's happy with that introspection, you know, because mm-hmm. they're, they're being forced <clears throat> to do it very quickly with not very much guidance, right? right. So and they haven't got a framework. So maybe, to me, Sistema offers a very solid framework for doing that. I mean, I continue to read about the mind and study things in a scientific way, but Sistema is still my physical laboratory for testing the things that I think I know. Right? Right. And it sounds like yoga can be the same. 
Yeah, it can. And it, offer additional If it's taught pathways. that way, yeah. yeah. It, can, it can be wonderful. I mean, just like we have all these cookie cutter McDojos too that like people sure. just learn techniques. Yeah. And what is technique? Technique is another process of the mind. Right. right? It's not acting from a place that you. It's not acting from what your own individual movement is. Right? Sure. Yeah. And that's the, um, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I want to go back to Star Wars. There's, there's this idea always go back to Star Wars. that jo- Joseph Campbell was talking about when he was helping George Lucas with Star Wars. And he, he said that, like, you know, the whole light side of the force, dark side of the force thing is like the light side of the force was um, when humans are in nature, right? Mm. And having a relationship with nature and the power that comes out of nature. Mm. And then the dark side was technology, control. Mm. You know, the mind wants to control everything, yep. right? And control is an illusion. We know that. Sure. And look at the suffering that comes out of that. Yeah. So the whole dark side philosophy mm. came from like a yoga and a keto type of um, mm. type of mentality of the causes of suffering, right? Misunderstanding of your own true nature. Sure. You don't understand your nature. You understand the mind and the mind wants to control everything. Yep. So then what do you do? You dominate everybody who's... Yeah. You try to dominate everybody, you try to control everything, put it, put everything into its category, mm. you know, think that everybody is the thing that they identify with, you know, uh, the, the group that they identify with, rather than looking at people as individuals, looking mm. at ideas as individual ideas, and ideas are just an arbitrary turning of the mind. Just, mm. It's just something that comes and goes if you let it go, Yeah. right? If you let it stay there and you can't let it go, it manifests itself as illness, mm. You know, in very many different ways. I mean, there's, I think it's a saying in Chinese medicine that all illness originates in the mind. Mm. You know, and if you think about it in the same type of terms as Ayurveda and yoga, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you know? definitely. So, well, man. So, um, so if people want to learn more about um, the traditional <laughs> philosophies and kind of uh, if they want a starting point on this, if they've never even thought about or had any inclination at all to think yeah. about learning about the sutras or anything like that. What's, what's a good kind of place to go in? Because obviously there are probably huge reams of text that yeah. are only really oh. useful to people who it's are already scholars. Is yeah. there like kind of a useful cliff notes guide or like, <laughs> you know, an easy entry point for people who might be no. interested in the parallels or something? No, like? because you need a teacher. Okay. So and find need, a teacher. Please. You need somebody, you need a teacher that identifies with you. Okay. Right. And the, the, I'm sorry, that you can identify with that has, yeah. has the personality, the vibe that you want. Yeah, you want to go through this stuff for, and essentially, what what a good yoga session might be to talk about the sutras is exactly what we just did. Sure, this is the way yoga was discussed for thousands of years before yeah. people started writing it down. Mm-hmm. So, um, yoga was discussed. What does this mean to you? Yeah. And you know, if you want to go down that path, that's great. But if you want to get stuck in the mind, then you're going to sit down and just read the text and be like, oh, well, this historical note said that. Blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I'm not going to pay any attention to this. You know, yeah. And the mind starts to categorize and want to control again. Yeah. So you need. You need somebody that just doesn't give you the information, mm-hmm. but somebody who can lead you to a place of yoga and then discuss it with you. And a facilitator. Yes, you need somebody mm-hmm. to facilitate that for you. Right. Um, if you want to look at my lineage, which is a very practical, demystified version of yoga, yep. it's the Krishnacharya Desikachar lineage. Mm-hmm. Uh, KYM.org is the, um, the Krishnacharya Mandarin in, uh, in, um, in India. Yeah. And my teachers were uh, came from that, which is Yoga School New York. Yeah. And that's Guta Hedwig, uh, Dolphy, Whitaker, and um, Rachel Lynch. Gotcha. I think she messed up her life. I'm, I'm sorry, Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure she's this thing if she's going to cry. Yeah. And then like four or five other teachers that come in and teach um, yeah. teach different aspects of it. And it's beautiful because they'll all take the same subject, but they all have their own viewpoints on it. Yeah. And then you can kind of take from each teacher in the amount that you want. And then you can be like, 
oh, well, you know, I think I'm going to go down this route, you know, because yeah. one's, one's, a, one's a medical doctor, you know, another oh. one's a dancer, you know, yeah. another one works with children who, um, uh, children in the early developmental stages. So these people are, you know, they're very intelligent people. They're not just like your, your flighty pseudo-spiritual people that are, sure. you know, that, that type of thing. So stay away from that stuff and stay away from the text if you don't have somebody to go through it with you. Yeah. I mean, you can just read through it, get the cliff notes and things like that, but it's really not that, um, yeah. it's, really, it's really not fun. Yeah. Uh, this book is awesome by Franz Moore's Liberating Isolation, uh, which is the Yoga Sutra of Pantanjali. Okay. And it's very demystified. There's no uh, talk of religion or God or anything like in here. Mm. Anything like that in here if people want so to be completely secular. You can be from any discipline or right. on its own and still enjoy that. And the yeah. Bhagavad Gita is another great one. There's tons sure. of writings on that with uh, the uh, the different um, translations and things sure. like that. Um, then there's the Vedas. I did not study the Vedas and I didn't study the Upanishads yet. So this has kind of been my project for the last five years or so. Cool. Awesome. Well, yeah. I'll put some links to that book and to the KYM school and uh, also to you as well if people want to um, train with you like a one-to-one maybe um, sure at the time either Susanna or Yoga I'm sure people mm. uh, might need some uh, some restructuring in these difficult times cool thanks mate it's, uh, it's been fascinating we've been, we've been waiting to do this for a little <laughs> while so it's been good that uh, we've had the excuse to get together and do it yeah man maybe we could do a part two there's a lot of stuff sure I think we got to make about a third of what I sent you in notes yeah, <laughs> yeah. Totally. so it's yeah. cool nice cheers pals alright man stay cool Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about classes, workshops, and seminars at NC Sistema, please visit us online at www.ncsistema.com.